back for another episode of Ready, Set, Go. Go! Before we get started, we want to give a shout out to our partner, Prize Picks. Prize Picks. If you want to be a winner and pick the winners, go check out prizepicks.com. Prizepicks.com. Today, man, we have a special guest with us, man, world-renowned coach, Coach Gary Evans, man. He's coached so many medalists in the Olympics, world championships, and we're so glad to have him here on our show, Ready, Set, Go, man. Coach Gary, welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. We really appreciate, appreciate it. You. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. We just want to get started, man. We want to ask you, man, how'd you get started in coaching track and field? Like, what, where, where did you start from? Um, basically, I started in Melbourne, Florida. Um, I was coaching my wife over at Palm Bay High School, helping out over there. Um, for that part, I also coached at Stone Miller School, which is also in Melbourne, Florida. And that was really my platform for getting me started into track and field just dealing with a lot of youth kids. Okay, shoot. One of the youth kids I actually ran against as a kid but didn't even know that you were coaching them at the time was, I, I would call him um, a, a general, generational athlete that probably didn't see all his potential, but Xavier Carter. Tell us, how, how do you end up meeting Xavier and then coaching them? So for people at home, a generational athlete is a, is a, is a phenom. That's yes, someone that doesn't correct. come along very often. They achieve <laughs> no. something that has never even been sometimes thought of to achieve, and they do it with ease. He was but, doing things at his age that kids shouldn't be doing. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> I mean, they come every 10 years. Yeah. Know, that's how I look at it. Um, it was a blessing with Xavier. Um, one day his dad, me and his dad, you know, we was pretty good friends, and his dad came to me and said, hey, I want you to coach my son. I said, okay, no problem. Bring him out to practice. Well, he first brought Xavier out to practice. Xavier was very playful. I mean, the kid was still probably around at that time was maybe around about, I would say, 5'10 or, or 6 wow. feet. Um, and this was at the age of 12. Well, we started practicing, and Xavier was kind of like the lazy type. He would run one lap and then go behind the bleachers, and then he'll throw rocks at the other runners as they <laughs> run by. So it was like, okay, this ain't going to work. I mean, this kid was like Dennis the Menace, you know. So um, I cut him off the team that year because um, he was not ready, you know. He, wanted, he was very playful. Big kid among the other kids his age, but he was just still playful. The next year's dad brought him back out to me again, and I was already shaking my head when I seen the the um, the – I think he had a four explorer pull up. I was like, oh no, that's gonna be no. <laughs> you know, but his dad said, coach, you know, Mr. Carter said, I got him together now and I think he's ready to come out and really run track. I said, okay, so let's give it a try. So we came out, had some good practice sessions and different things like this. And then one day we did a time trial. And I had to make sure my battery was working in my clock because I think we did a 400 time trial. And I think the kid went like 48 something. And this was at the age of like 13. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, and it's not like That's he was, he, he didn't have on spikes, mindful. He had on sneakers when he did this. And I was like, okay, this kid is special. So um, I think we went to a meet that summer and it was his first track meet. And the only thing I wanted him to do that first track meet was just a four by four. I didn't want to, you know, get his feet, you know, too mixed up in the mix yet. Well, one of our athletes, um, I think his name was Gerard. He got about to the 300-meter mark on the third leg, and he fell. 
Xavier ran back up to the 100-meter mark, got the baton, took off running, and caught everybody. Right then, I knew it was trouble. <laughs> so he, he had a hundred meter, almost a 100-meter deficit and, and growing because the athletes are still running. Correct. And he caught everybody. He caught everybody. That's crazy. He caught everybody. I mean, not to say that the kids was fast, but just to do something like that is was amazing. I mean, that was jaw dropping. Um, from that point, I just took him into. I moved him up age bracket. I didn't let him train with the kids his age bracket because he's much faster than them. I moved him up a few age brackets and let him train with some of the high school kids, and he just dominated the high school kids. I mean, it was like. At what age was he when he was dominating high school kids? 13, 14. Yeah. Uh, so the so the the time you gave in his four hundred time trial. Would have won state when I was in high school, like easily. Yeah, probably would have won state. Listen, yeah. when I came to the United States in the Bombers, uh, I went to Miami, Carrot City, and I remember meeting Xavier in the year two thousand at uh, what's the what's the what's the meet in Jacksonville? Bob Hayes. Bob Hayes. Bob Saw him at Bob Hayes. At that time, I'm splitting forty eight into four by four. Our four by four event like three nineteen at Miami, Carrot City, and I remember. Man, I passed it off to one of my teammates named Sonora Smalls who played in the NFL. But when I passed it off to him, we watched Xavier go after him. And he split 46, bro. What? <laughs> yes, bro. <laughs> he split like 46. Low. Now, now, mind you, 319, 318 in high school is pretty good. Like, you pretty, you, you got a pretty You're good right. high school team. <laughs> yes. And that's what we got. Yeah. You know what I mean? Between us and Central, but this they have this one kid on that leg he ran down almost everybody on, on the leg running 46, bro. He split 46. And that's, that's the first time I saw, and he was a bigger kid. Yeah. Bigger, yeah. lean, and lanky, yeah. but he was moving with the, the, with the big head. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and we always had that problem with him through AU track where people didn't believe his age because he was so much bigger than his opponents. But he was just a big kid, you know, big kid, lanky, and had wheels on him. So yeah, my my track encounter with Xavier, um, when I started uh, working with with Coach Brooks over there, right, and Xavier, he had us do those barefoot runs, right, and we running on the baseball field, so we run on the grass, barefoot, right, clean, even grass, just nice, and um, we took off shoulder to shoulder with each other, and we just running, right, just hitting strides, nothing fast, nothing hard, and I kept hearing this thump, thump, thump sound, thump. Dump, dump. And I'm in mid-stride looking over, and this dude's hitting the ground with so much force and so much power, just barefoot on grass. I couldn't imagine the power output that he he possessed, you know, when he got on the track. I was like, whoa, this, this is about to be a problem, for real. Yeah, but like I said, he was just talented in so many ways. God give, gave him that gift. Um, it was just a blessing to get a chance to work with him since the age of 12 and then follow him up through you know, high school through college and, you know, a little bit of pro. True. Let's talk about that, man. So you ended up following him to, to LSU. Correct. With Coach Shaver, correct? Correct. Right. So you were, you had a hand in still helping coach him with Coach Shaver. A little bit, yes. The main thing was probably more the discipline part of it, right? Uh, because, so you, um, they, they wanted you up there to keep him straight. Now, yes. keep in mind, Xavier Carter has done something that still – I think haven't been done by any collegiate athlete by winning the 100 and the 400 at an NCAA championship. Correct. And you guys were a part of that. Correct. That, 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 that was amazing. Let's talk a little bit about that. Once you moved and he transitioned 
to LSU. How was that? Like, because they wanted him to play football. They also. wanted him to play football. Um, Xavier was a track runner that played football. Right. We have a lot of them in today's time. This is true. <laughs> this, is true. That <laughs> this is true. This is true. Football players. <laughs> um, but um, you know, every kid dream is to play football. I mean, they turn on the TV on Saturday, they see football. They turn on the TV on Sunday, they see football. So that that's American sport football, and I can understand that. Um, and it kind of worked out pretty well. You know, coach let them play football during the um, ride along with track, but he was mostly he was mostly there on the track scholarship. Um, we tried to fit things in the best we could. I think the biggest thing with you dealing with track and football, with football, you got to pick the muscular weight up. Then in track, you have to take it down a little bit. So you always have that problem, maybe probably catching an injury in between there. But how, somehow it worked out pretty smoothly. Um, I think once Xavier made the mistake of um, kneeling on the one yard line, <laughs> I think he realized then, okay, this football is not the route to go. <laughs> Let me go track. Um, but it, it it worked out pretty good. I mean, both coaches got along well. Um, execution, the time zone in between the two, letting them go here and then letting them go there. It worked out pretty well. How did that transition you into you starting your own thing? Because you went to LSU and then where'd I, you go after that? Well, I was always doing um, summer track. So when I got to um, Louisiana, I got with a friend of mine, at Coach Gibson. Marvin Gibson, who's the coach of at the University of Kentucky now, um, he had a program now called Baton Rouge YMCA. So I still had my hands in with coaching the youth and different things like that. Then from that point, Xavier got hurt. I believe it was in Indianapolis at the U.S. Trials. I yeah, believe. it was at the U.S. Trials. Coming um, off the turn, yeah. Correct. So um, Xavier, um, Coach Schaefer told me to take Xavier with me up to Johnson City, Tennessee. And we stayed up there for about a month. And we did some training up there. So that was my first time again getting the experience of just putting my hands with at the pro level, not the youth level of working with Xavier there. So um, I think it worked out good. I learned a lot of things. I saw a lot of things. I, I've always talked to coaches when we go across seas. You know, I take my notes um, down to the cafeteria with me or the dining hall and I write down what I like and, and I throw out what I don't like. So I just started putting notes together. And from that point, I just said, okay, I, I could coach this boy. <laughs> so I've coached him before. So it worked out pretty well. We went, we came back month after that. And I believe we went to, I want to say it was Zurich, Switzerland. And that's where he won the 200 out on his return that's he back. Went 1963, right? Listen. No, that was the one before. I think he went 19, like eight something okay. on the return back. And then on the Lausanne, he ran 1963. So that's the story that Justin always tell, tells that, that Wallace Spearing told him. And I remember you telling me at that time that uh, Xavier at this point had like some bone spurs in his Correct. ankle. And he was doing a lot of pool workouts, not so much on the ground workout or surface workouts. Correct. Go ahead and tell that story that Wallace. <laughs> so Wallace Spearman, shout out to Wallace Spearman. Shout out to Wallace. <laughs> he told me a story when they were running, right? The, I guess the meet before Lausanne. And him, Bolt, Tyson, they all ran fast times. And he's over in the warm area and he gets a phone call on his phone. He's like, yo, and it was Xavier. And Xavier said, I see what your boy's doing. Y'all be ready for me next week. <laughs> and hung the phone up. Just like that. Y'all be ready for me next week and hung the phone up. Smoothest thing, coldest thing ever. And obviously he goes to Lausanne and he drops that time from lane nine. 1963. And then everybody was on notice then. Yes. I mean, like I say, the kid, you know, if you didn't see what he did in college, you, know, you must have 
was not watching track and field. I mean, at that problem, at that chance right there, you knew he was going to be a problem. I mean, when the kid comes off the 100 and then have a little bit of short rest, maybe about 35 minutes, and then have to line up and do a 400, and you give him maximum effort in the 100. And um, the 400, I think he just, I think he knew he could beat the field because Ricardo Chambers, I think, was the top athlete at yeah. that time, mm-hmm. him and maybe David Neville. Well, we had never raced David Neville, but we had raced Ricardo Chambers a few times through high school. So we kind of knew his race strategy a little bit. So we just bought our time and just say, hey, we're just going to hang in the race until the end. Then we're just going to sprint at the end and, you know, take the victory. Um, and I think that's the way it worked out perfectly at that time. What would you say you would have learned coaching Xavier as a pro? Things, things that were good and things that were bad that you carry into your coaching realm today? Things that are good is if you have an athlete that's talented, don't try to overdo it. Talent. I mean, just fine-tune it. God gave him that gift, you know? So just fine-tune it. That's your job as a coach because it's already there. You don't have to recreate the wheel. You know, I think when it comes to the negative part, and I would say it's still a positive part, it taught me patience. Because if anybody (laughs) knew Xavier, like I knew Xavier, (laughs) He was the man on the track, but off the track, <laughs> boy, I had plenty of sleepless nights, okay? <laughs> um, so patience was a big thing. Um, I felt if I could coach Xavier, I could coach anybody. Because, uh, I mean, Xavier was really rough when it came to off the track. You know, I, I came to the point where I, I got put to sleep in the club fooling with Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> Maced by uh, oh, everything. Man. You name it, it happened, you know, as a being a, you know, a person assisting, helping with yeah. Xavier. I've had an encounter with Xavier, man. We was over in, uh, in St. Kitts. We about to run a race. You, got, you remember that, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> St. Kitts, man. And uh, we went out, you know what I'm saying? Had a good time. Uh, Xavier had a little more fun than everybody else. Uh, and quite a bit more fun. <laughs> yeah. And I remember we were riding back to the hotel and he just was like just so against going back. And I remember uh uh um St. Kitts, Kim, Kim Collins was so upset with him, he just dropped him off in the middle of the field in the dark. Get your ass out of my car right now. <laughs> Joel was in the front seat with with uh Kim and we pulled off. We started driving about maybe about a, a another hundred hundred meters away. Joel looked over to Kim, was like, Hey, man, you know we can't leave him in the middle of this field, right? <laughs> so you had to turn back around, grab him. But it was the fastest trip we ever got back to the hotel. We pulled up. Brakes were squeaking. <laughs> Kim was like, man, y'all get the hell out of my car right now, man. So to have that experience with Xavier was one of those moments that is, you'll never forget it. You no. definitely will never yeah, forget him yeah. off the track for sure and on the track. Yes, if you went out with Xavier, and trust me, you had a night to remember if you went out with Xavier. Yeah, for sure. No do, you, do you think... Without his off-the-track issues, would we be talking about Xavier today? No doubt. No doubt. I mean, Xavier was supposed to be the man to challenge Usain Bolt. Um, I think Xavier's the only person that has not lost is Usain Bolt, okay? Although Usain Bolt wasn't fully in his prime at that time yet. I'll give Usain Bolt credit there. Um, but Xavier just, he was two different people. When he was on the track, he was x man Oh yeah, he did That's throw. He, it. he did used to throw up the X. But off the track, <laughs> he was Xavier. So sometimes people have demons that they have to try to fight, and sometimes your demons get the best of you, and it distracts what you have going on positive. So I think you know if we wouldn't have had them problems, I think his name would have went down in history. I do truly believe that. I agree know? with that one hundred percent. He's still in top ten all the time. 
Hey, and, and to win it, Look. still top ten all time. Like you say he's one of them generational athletes. It's gonna take a long time <laughs> to erase his name from the books. And at this point in time, watching him from where he came from to what he achieved already and what he could have done, boy, I mean, he a legend in the sport, hands down. Legend okay. of the sport, hands down, man. Wherever you at, man, shout out to you, bro. Shout out to you, hundred percent. Coach, uh, so coach, um, like you said, you you made a point and said if you can coach Xavier, you can coach anybody, right? Right. So what's your mindset as a coach, like th then coming into now? As a coach now, I feel probably in track and field, I'm probably the most laid back coach. Um, I'm a coach and I tell all my athletes, I'm not going to curse you out. I'm not going to be following you, peeking in your window, making sure you can sleep at night, calling you. You're a professional. You're professional for a reason. If that's not good enough to say I need to do my job, without me getting on you, then you're in the wrong sport. You're not professional. Um, I think that's the difference with a lot of athletes. They wonder why they have a contract and why they don't have a contract. A lot of times it could be just your professionalism, you know, and that plays a big part. So what I basically do, I just tell athletes, look, this is what you need to do. Go home, get your rest. Forget about track and field when you go home. I'll watch Sisters, watch BT, watch the Hip Hop Award, because it seems like that come on every month. Um, <laughs> you know, so just have fun. Get away from track, you know, because as a track runner, your job is to run. The coach job is to coach. The agent job is to be an agent. Now, somewhere in these days and times, we got all that mixed up because agent trying to be the coach, coach trying to be the agent, runner trying to be the athlete and the, the, the agent and the coach. No, I don't need you. To, I just need you to take care of your part. Go home, rest, have fun. Don't think about your job because when I leave the track, I don't think about track. I go home, I enjoy myself, uh, play some spades, maybe grab me a drink, a Hennessy and Red Bull, I have fun. <laughs> I, I lay back, okay? I do not think about track. Maybe I may call an agent here or there, or if an agent calls me, I may look at the phone and say, okay, I'll get back with them tomorrow. But that's my time, that's my downtime, you know? And I, I want the athlete to have the same thing because if you enjoy your job, you're gonna perform at your job. So if I could run my camp, and it's not a military camp, and they don't mind coming to work and enjoying and running and practice and having fun, then I'm gonna get more success. And um, I leave practice sometime, and the athletes will still be out there talking for about an hour or so in the hot blazing sun. Y'all really yeah. like coming to practice, don't you? <laughs> so my thing is have fun, enjoy it. You know, enjoy the, enjoy the moment that you're living in. Um, enjoy practice, enjoy competing. If you don't have that, you, you won't go far in this sport. Is that what you feel? Is that the reason why you feel you have obtained so many athletes? How many athletes do you have in your camp right now? Well, last year I had 24. Woo! 14, That's a lot. That's four, a lot for a track coach. 14 Listen, made it to Worlds. That's a lot. Four, 14, 14 made it to Worlds. Which is, yes. a, which is a very, I want to tell the people, which is a very high percentage. Mm. If we try to quantify coaches and the percentages of the people they coach, that's a very high percentage because a lot of coaches are only quantified by maybe two or three athletes out of 20-something athletes that they have. Right. You know what I mean? But for you to have 14 athletes and how many nations? Oh, boy. <laughs> Quite a few. Yeah, Quite I a think few. about maybe five or say, six nations. Let me see. Bahamas, Jamaica, Canada. Puerto Rico. Um, Ivory Coast, UK. Puerto Rico, UK. Um. Um, I think it's called Saint Center Leno. Some it's somewhere so in Africa. So that's like um, seven Sierra or eight. Leon. Yeah. Sierra Leone. Yeah. yeah. So it's quite a few different um, Trinidad, 
um, quite a few. And, and this is why the reason why you're in, in in quite the high demand of of a lot of athletes seeking you out for training or countries seeking you out for training because you have a high success rate. I mean, I'm blessed. You know, I have a great coaching staff, you know, wonderful coaching staff. I couldn't do it without them. You know, my son, Dontarian Evans, who's a grad of St. All. Shout out, shout out to Don Terry's. I know mm-hmm. Don Terry's is my dog. Yes, that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's my twin. <laughs> he's tougher than me, to be honest. He is, um, he is. He's, he's he is. tougher than me. Um, he is. Well, I, you know, after, you know, it's like your, it's like your parents. You know, you come along, your parents wrote you hard. Then your brother come along, your little brother. Now the parents don't got easy. You be like, now mom wouldn't let me got away with that when I was just, <laughs> so I'm a little facts. bit like that on the track now. Dontan's kind of taking the slack to where, okay, Things that I did with Novaline and them back then, these athletes, I let them get away with it a little bit. But Dante said, ah, no, we gonna, this is how we're going to do it. So yeah. he's very tough. Uh, I have Coach Tunk, Antonio Coach Tunk. Williams. Um, yep. He followed me from Gainesville, Florida. He was always one of my youth coaches. He's also kind of like the, he's, he's like the, the religious person of the group. Um, mm-hmm. He's always sending out, you know. We need that, um, man. Keep religious Jesus messages in the group. In the group. <laughs> um, he's always talking about praying. He's one that you could go to and talk to. Um, he he fits in perfectly. Then I have Coach Kayla Reddick. She also came from um, Coach Kayla Shout Gainesville, out. Florida. Um, she used to she was coaching Tamari in Gainesville while I was in Claremont. So I just sent her the workouts. Never had to worry about them getting changed. She always stayed right on same workout. Never tweeted anything. Just always there and for the athlete. I mean, you'll hear her screaming. She don't need a microphone. You can hear Kayla. Clear across the stadium with no problem. <laughs> um, but they they call her auntie. That's what the athletes call her. But they know that she means the best for them. And when she's screaming sometimes, yeah, work your nerve because it will work my nerve sometimes. But, <laughs> but they know that, you know, she's 100% behind them. Let's talk about that. I seen you step back a little bit and you said while you were in Claremont. When you were in Claremont, what was that experience like? Who were you with? What were you doing? What was your role? When I came, first came, I was with Brooke Johnson. I think one of the to top Brooks. coaches in the world. <laughs> I learned so much from Brooke Johnson. Even learned how to cuss from Brooke Johnson. If you, <laughs> you will Brooke, teach you a couple of those words. Yes, sir. For sure. Brooke, if you ain't, Brooke made up curse words. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was out of love. I mean, some people might have thought maybe it was a disrespectful sometime, but sometimes you need that tough love. Um, but Brooke really sat me down and he treated me as an athlete. Like when practice was over with Brooke, I say, all right, what you learned? <laughs> <laughs> he did me the same so, way. Hey, get your book out. Get, get your, your book out. out. Tell me what yeah. you learned. You know, so I learned so much from Brooke Johnson, you know, and he never like limited to where, okay, you can't go off on your own. No. And when I had the chance, you know, to start working with, my first athlete I worked with was Novaline Williams Mill. Novaline Williams Mill out Shout of Jamaica. Novi. Shout we to know Novi. Jenna Martin <laughs> out of Canada. And Mashami Robinson out of USA. You know Mashami also. Uh, <laughs> I worked with them three. And they was kind of like my platform to get me going right along with Xavier Carter because Xavier was there also. So we started working with them, that little group right there. Then from there, I branched over to where I was training at NTC. And one day I was going out the NTC gates and coach Lance Brumman asked me about, you know, assisting him because I guess the guy who was working with him was moving on. So, you know, I thought about it and I said, okay, this, this could probably work. I could probably do um, Brooks in the morning, then come and do Lance later on. 
So at that time, Brooke group has kind of shadowed down a little bit. So Brooke just said, well, you know, go ahead and do the thing with, with um, Lance. So I just fully went with Lance. And it was experience. Like I say, Lance also showed me a few different things that, you know, I was able to pick up on. You know, Lance is considered one of the best sprint coaches out there. So definitely whenever, you know, you get a chance to work with, you know, coaches like the, at that caliber, you know, you're going to pick up something. You're going to learn something from them. And um, I think with Lance, it was just, you know, I learned a few things from him that I didn't have in my resume already. And then there was a few things that I didn't take with me that, mm. you know, that w- that I saw. But overall, I thought it was a, you know, pretty good experience. For y'all who don't know, Lance Brahman is the coach of Sharnay Melowibo and Noah Lyles. Uh, I think those are his most notable athletes those that are, he have. Yes. Yeah. So, so for people who don't know, that's who Lance, Lance Brahman is. Former coach of uh, Veronica Campbell and Tyson, Tyson Gay. Correct. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Justin Gallon from Ready, Set, Go. We have a big announcement to make. We have officially partnered with Prize Picks, the daily fantasy sports game. I repeat, the daily fantasy sports game. And it's so easy to sign up. I'm going to pass over the ride to tell you how to get it done. Let me tell you guys how easy it is, man. Head over to prizepicks.com or download the app. If you want to make some moolah, it's a skill-based game. At Prize Picks, you don't just play against anybody. You only play against the prize pick projections. You pick between two to six players, and you select either more or less against the prize picks projections. The best part about it, it only takes 60 seconds to make your entries. Now that's my kind of game. And you know, I'm always picking for my Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly to the road of victory. And at prize picks, you can win 25 times your money. You could turn $10 into $250. Man, and y'all know Devontae Smith gonna go get me my money. Price Picks is going to match your first deposit up to $100. If you put in $10, they're going to put in $10. If you put in $100, they're going to put in $100. Go to prizepicks.com slash Gatlin. Use code Gatlin for a first deposit match up to $100. Oh, coach, you named a couple athletes. You named Noveline Williams-Mills. You, uh, you have Xavier Carter. You also have uh, Stephen Gardner. All right. All of them... Uh, are Olympic medalists, world champions of, of certain calibers, and you have Tamari Davis now too, right? Right. Uh, new phenom that's on the, on the sprint scene. So what's different and what's similar to all of them? Because all of them have become crown jewels of your coaching, in my perspective, right? They have achieved something and have given you that success to be able to be a better coach, right? Because you worked hard to put Correct. it into them. So what's different and what's similar? Um... Each athlete, when you have 24 athletes, or even say you have two athletes or 30 athletes, each athlete has a different personality. I think in days' time as coaches, um, some coaches get stuck in their ways, like it's my way or the highway. And I think sometimes we do as coaches, I'm not going to say we have to fully listen to them, but hear what they have to say. And then if it's wrong, tell them the reason why, okay, that doesn't make sense. So we're not going to do it that way. And then it may be something that was right that may be like, okay, let me try this. I never looked at it that way. Let me try this with you. Um, so it's just listening to the athlete and not being stubborn and stuck in your ways. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people, you know, could take it, could run with it, you know, yeah. but you have to know when it's like, say, okay, we're not going to do it that way. Um, dealing with young athletes, I think from dealing with youth track, it taught me how to deal with young athletes. The Zay, I mean... Tamari, when she came in, young. Um, when I got Stevie, he was still relatively young. 
So I think as working with youth athletes, it brought me that, I say, relationship that I could deal with these younger ones that's trying to go professional. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I say, they're young and, you know, you have to deal with the money. You have to deal with the off the track. I take Tamari Davis, for instance. When she came to the group, you had Desiree Bryan, Jasmine Quinn, all of them over here talking adult conversation. Tamari was still maybe going home watching the Brats. <laughs> you know? So she had nothing to really talk about with the other she athletes. Relate she couldn't relate yeah. to them. Yeah. So now she's over here by herself stretching and everything. Then all everybody else is over here. Then finally, um, Desiree, Brian, and Stevie, they said, okay. I said, hey, I need some help with her. Because at t- when Tamari first came on to the pro scenes, it's like, okay, maybe people saying, they had a girl should have stayed, went on to college. You know, she signed too early. But that wasn't what I saw. I, I, I'm in practice every day. I knew what the problem was. It was just her feeling comfortable. Once she got with Desiree, Brian, and Stevie, and they kind of brought in the group and kind of adapted. I know it was, it was still sometimes when we went to like King's Bowling and 10 o'clock came, Tamari had to leave, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. after a certain age. That so, that curfew. <laughs> so we still had some situations like that, but she started getting comfortable. She started speaking and started talking a little bit because Tamari's always been a quiet person. But if I could get her, get her just to talk a little bit and feel comfortable about herself. And then when she was in practice and she started running and she started saying, wait a minute, they pro, but I am right here with them. Maybe I could go in front of them a little bit. So each day start getting a little bit more comfortable with it. Then once she found that spot, and I think that spot that she found was when we went to Puerto Rico. Uh, I think that meet was in Ponce at that time. And okay. yeah. I think she finished, um, I believe second or third to, I want to say it was Elaine Thompson. I think that's when Tamari had arrived. But she felt like point. she knew that she, could she be knew right I there. compete at this level. Okay, mm. I compete at this level. Did, did she come back to the Warmberry and be like, "Okay, I got this"? She was happy. She was like, "Wow, go that was Elaine Thompson." But the one thing about Tamari Davis, she never—I don't know. She's she's different. Like I remember when she was young and she raced um Shawnee at um NTC, her first like pro meet run against somebody big. I I was more nervous than her. I like I was like, "Okay, Tamari, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do." This. She said, Coach, okay, I know what to do. It's 100 meters. <laughs> and that's how she, she doesn't, yeah. if you even look, look at her on the camera, all she do is wave. You don't see her blinking no eyes or nothing. She has no fear. I mean, she just gets up and runs. I yeah. mean, nothing scares her. She just runs. I think the first time I heard her say she was nervous was the four by one relay because she said she had four other people, de- three other people depending on her. Listen, Coach, you know? the moment I, the, before I retired, the four by one relay still made me nervous. I could race 100, 100 meters against the top athletes in the world. I'd never get nervous. But for some reason, when you're doing that relay and you got to be accountable and also hold everybody else who's racing with you Correct. to some kind of accountability, it puts a little butterfly yeah. on me. She said, she said, Coach, I was nervous. But I didn't find out until after. You know, but before the race and she was warming up and everything, she said nothing. She just, yeah. Yeah, she, she's is a, when I say she's a jewel to coach, she's a jewel. Now, I'm still trying to get her to do more 400s in practice. <laughs> basically, you know, I do believe in 400s. I, my, my, my base of my program is 400, regardless if you're a 100 meter runner. Oh, I not. remember when, yeah. I was, when I was with you, coach. <laughs> <laughs> you at home know, he also was one of my coaches as well. So, yeah. 
He had that 400 base, and he meant that you had to get that 400 base in. Yes. But that, that's, that's actually a specialty. Um, a lot of people know him for coaching 400 meters, but, you know, you came into coaching Tamari Davis and um, I think Raheem, Raheem Ford. Ford. Ford in the 100 meters now. You would always say, or you would turn the athletes away and be like, nah, I coach this 400, but I don't know how to coach this 100. <laughs> that's what you always tell people. But now you have Raheem Ford, who has a personal best of nine seconds, mm-hmm. Tamari Davis, who's ran 10-8. I think she probably had her most consistent season this year. Correct. She's probably sub 10 seconds maybe six or seven times this year. So what do you say about you coaching the 100 meters now? I'm a type of coach I have to really study it. I don't, I'm not just going to take your money because you, you feel, okay, I just want to go over here. If I can't give you 110% and know the sport, Altogether, I'm not going to fool with it. For instance, we take Jasmine Quinn. Yes, Jasmine Quinn is in my group, but I don't teach Jasmine Quinn the hurdles. That's a guy named John that teaches her hurdles. I work with her on Mondays and Fridays, speed and base. Um, she stays with me the whole time, November through January. Then once February comes, I just see her on Monday and Fridays, working on our, once again, volume and speed. Um, so I'm not comfortable yet with the 110 hurdles or the 100 hurdles. We take um, Kyron McMaster. This is my first year with him. Man, he... um, great talent. And hats off to his previous coaches. I think they've done a good job with him. I just saw a few things that could be done differently to help him, which was a training group. And when you have a training group, you're training with a Stevie Gardner, Michael Cherry, uh, um, Matthew Hudson, Asa Gravar. That makes you step up your practice. Oh, yeah, um, sure. So, <laughs> you know, we'll, we did that. Then he'll come on the speed side, and I'll put him maybe with Raheem, Andrew Hudson, Jelani Walker. I'll let him do some sprints with them. So being in that group changed his way of training. And I think he said, Coach, everything I do, you make sure I have hurdles at the end. If we do 500 on grass. You're going to have two hurdles at the end on that grass. <laughs> um, I say, they pay you the hurdle, correct? He said, correct. So I said, that's what you're going to do. You're going to hurdle. So every workout, you're going to see a hurdle somewhere in the workout. There's going to be a hurdle. Um, so I think that really helped out him a lot there with where he was able to um, come into the group and focus and train with a group, help him develop better. So, yeah. Talk a little bit about once you moved out on your own, how hard was that? What was that grind like when you started to try to – make your own ship. You talked about being with Brooks. You talked about being with Lance Brahman. But we all know, Justin and I know, and I don't know if the world knows, that you run your own ship now of 24 athletes. How was that starting? How many athletes did you start with? And what was that like for you? Well, when I first went off on, when I was coaching Novaline and all that little group right there, there was really no problem. But when I left from coaching with um, Lance Brahman, there was a problem from that point on. Um, you know, me, I'm a coach. I'm going to speak what's on my heart and what's on my mind. Go ahead. Um, I think at times these shoe companies, they have their picks. You know, we, want, we want this coach. We want that coach. We want this coach. Or, no, you're not going there. If you go there, we're going to cut you or we're going to reduce you. Um, and I think that's unfair. You know, because besides the coaches that you have, other coaches can coach, and it's been proven outside of outside of me and other coaches have also that are not contracted coaches have proved that they could coach. 
but I don't know if it's a bond that they have with these shoe companies or maybe some dirt that they may know about some of these shoe companies. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but definitely there's a problem there. Um, I feel if I have, this is my personal belief. Um, some pro coaches may not agree with it, but like I say, it's my belief. If an athlete runs fast in college and they're doing fine and they sign pro, leave them alone. I agree. Let that athlete stay with that collegiate coach. Okay. Now, after two years, something's not improving, get them out of there. Take them to your designated coach that you that you feel they need to be with. But if it's not broke, don't, don't try to fix it. I've seen y'all take kids from college coaches, try to put them into a pro environment, and it fell apart. The wheels just totally fell off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. I understand y'all pay these pro coaches. You know, y'all pay them a certain amount of money per year. Okay, well, there's other coaches out here that can coach just as well as your pro coaches. And if I go look at some resumes right now and compare some of the things that happened in the past few years and got compared with some of these pro coaches, I believe some of these other coaches that are not pro coaches under shoe companies, not getting paid by shoe company, resumes are a little bit better. Speak mm-hmm. on it. Um, now... You're doing a little pretty good for yourself at this point. You talked a little bit about how how rough it was. Are you looking to be with one of the shoe companies or you're comfortable with where you are? I'm comfortable where I'm at. If something comes comes along, I may entertain it. I have to see some things. I would have to let um, my agent go in and, you know, work some numbers and work it the way I want it. Sometimes when you deal with shoe companies, okay, say I'm with Walmart, shoe company. That's, that's, let's say it's a shoe company, all right? Walmart may have an athlete that I really don't want to coach. That's a headache. But because Walmart pay me, I have to, t- I have to, I have to coach that athlete. Exactly. Okay? Sometimes you can bring an athlete in that's a virus, and then that virus is going to spread through the group. That whole group is a mess. That's the one thing about when these shoe companies have you paying you. You are obligated to do what they say. I'm not nobody puppet. I'm not going to pull no strings and tell me I have to do this, I have to do that. Um, because that may not be in my game plan of how I need to get this athlete to the next spot. Um, or these shoe companies may say, this athlete has to be to this meet. Well, that meet doesn't make any sense because you having this meet on this day and there's a diamond league meet on this day where I could put them in this diamond league where I get them points out the way and I don't have to worry about coming back towards the end of the year trying to getting all these diamond leagues to make enough points to make the diamond league final. Mm. Now, do you prefer me to run in your meet and perform half step or will you perform me, prefer me to perform at the world championships and the Olympics and bring glory to your company? We have things backwards here. Some of these shoe companies are not about the athletes. They're about what I want the company to represent, or in other words, what you can do for the company. I need your face here to sign these autographs. Instead of you maybe being at your practice, getting the training in to get ready for the big show. So I'm not a, like I say, shoe companies have reason. It's a business at the end of the day. We have to look at it. It is a business. Um, but I think it's a business that's ran wrong at times. Um, I think we need to have a little bit more consideration on the athlete. You also need to have a little bit more consideration on the coaches that are 
coaching these athletes. Don't just say, okay, I need this athlete here. Or I want to do a photo shoot with this athlete and you had all summer to do it. Now you want to do it in November. So we are, we, we're training now. We don't have time to run and do no photo shoot in the middle of training. So it's about respect. They want us to respect them, but at the same time, and we get respect in return. Exactly. You got to know where, the, where the, the talent comes from, where the hard work comes from. You know, they're taking it from the top. And they, yeah. they, they see the cream at the top and they take it in from the top instead of thinking like, oh, we got to respect the base of everything. Correct. And like I say, when I went on my own, it was tough. You know, I, I, it's like I got shut out by a certain company. You ain't calling that company, but you got shut oh, out. Oh, you call it. Go Adidas. ahead, call it. I got <laughs> shut out. You know, I was, I was the man over there, you know, when I was with Lance, you know, shaking hands and dapping up and everything. Then when I left, I mean, I left on my own. I mean, I don't know if I can say the word. They got a beep. I was the same Negro that was there when, <laughs> when I was over there. I mean, nothing changed. I mean, I'm the same guy. Nah, you know, just, I just decided to do my own thing. Um, that that showed me right there. When that happened, that actually showed me you as a different coach because you exiting that situation caused such a rift that, oh. that it, it echoed because you was respected highly by the athletes. By the athletes. And the athletes <laughs> love being around you. The athletes love getting coached by you. And I'm not talking about 400-meter runners. I'm talking about 100-meter runners, runners yes. and up because what you possessed it wasn't just the fact that you was able to coach and hold a stopwatch and, and get times. It's the fact that you poured your knowledge, your heart, and your passion into the athletes and actually gave them much more confidence on all levels, man. So that really made a big difference to, in, the, in the community the athletes were. I, I think like Shawnee Miller said, you know, when me and Lance was together, it was like a two-headed monster. You know, it was like two, you had two great coaches really, you know, focusing in on these athletes right here. But eventually... Everything comes to an end. And I just felt, you know, I wanted to try to, you know, see, can I go out here and do this on my own? Of course, I'm rolling the dice because if it don't work, my previous employee may not take me back. I'm pretty sure they won't take me back because I went out and did it on my own. But I felt confident enough. I knew my knowledge. Um, I knew some of the things I had to do to get to that point. But it just seemed like every door I was going through, it was just, I started there for a week. Then next thing you know, it get blocked out. Like it's like people was making calls to get me kicked out of certain spots, you know. You was and a threat. Like I said, you was a threat I, now. I, I, I haven't always been a coach. I, I I got a record ain't long, you know. I was in the, I was in the streets, you know. So that boy you was know, in them streets. When you're in the streets, you're gonna have a record. I don't know too many people that's been in the street that don't have a record, yep. don't have a blemish or something against them. So I think they used that against me. Closed a lot of doors. Um, and I have to take fault for that. You know, I shouldn't have done these things, but it is, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it all over again because it taught me things. It manned me up, taught me stuff not to go for. So when that happened, I started getting just, it was just like rejection after rejection. Um, I would have a person come down. They would go see the other camp. My camp was only less than 15 minutes away. I had Adidas athletes, Nike athletes or whatever, but nobody came over and visit that camp. You know? <laughs> <laughs> to get back on the plane and go back where, where they came from. So it was tough, but once again, I think street knowledge 
kick near and say, hey, beat these fools at their own game. Don't go out there and fight them. Pull no guns and do You can't do it that street way. Right. The way we're going to do it. Where is that? Gonna, <laughs> hit them in the pockets. So in other words, you have to go beat them on paper every time. Every time you step on that track, you got to make sure your athlete runs faster than their athlete. Yep. That's how you beat them. That's how you beat them the business way. Yeah. 100%. So from that point, I just say I knew I, I have a love for coaching. I said, okay, we're going to put this together. And we're going to work. We're going to work. I'm going to bring in a coaching staff that's going to work. And we're going to beat them on paper. Every time I get a chance, I'm going to try to beat them on paper. If they beat me, they bitch beat me. But believe me, it's like that saying, say, you may whoop me one time, but every time you see me, we're going to fight. So every time you beat me, I'm going to come back and try to beat you at the next meeting. <laughs> that's <laughs> what I'm talking so, about. Um, Eventually, um, I kept working at it. We've had some success. Then some doors just started opening. Like, I think, I think they tried to put me out the sport. And then when they found out, okay, well, he ain't going to be able to coach. He's going to fail. Oh, man. Well, he got a pre world championships. Okay, that won't work. Let's try to pull his record. Mm, okay, let's stop and stop. Oh, man, he just put in somebody else's name. That don't work no more either. Uh, so it's always something new. Well, okay, what's going to be the next thing that's going to come that's going to try to stop me from coaching? Uh, so whatever they bring, I'm going to be ready for it. You know, and I'm going to retire when I want to retire, and that's going to be 2028. So unless y'all they come up with a mad scheme plan before 2028, I'm going to keep coaching. <laughs> what um, Tell us how that, since you was talking about how you fought them or fought them, a lot of people don't know. Um, People in the track world may know, but a lot of people don't know. What was your first world championship gold medal like, or what was your first Olympic gold medal from an athlete under you solely? How did okay, that feel? Okay, solely. Okay, solely. Solely, meaning <laughs> okay. it, it was you and your coaching staff, not like you or Lance Brahman or you or the Brooks Johnson. Solely, okay. so. you know that you orchestrated or engineered this athlete to a world championship gold or Olympic gold. I wouldn't even say a goal. I would say the the first medal that I received was um, Stevie in London, finished second in the four hundred in London. Stevie at the from World the Bahamas, two four two. Garden, from the Bahamas, <laughs> two four two. All right, twenty seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Okay. Correct. Okay. Um, it was it was a relief off my shoulder, knowing that shh, I got a medal. But then there was the backlash. Ah, that's work from a previous coach. You know, it's always something there, Trying you know. To discredit you. So yeah, I had yeah. to discredit you. So I was like, okay, I got to come back better even the next year. Because now they're saying, you know, this was the work from the previous year when the times that he ran was nowhere near <laughs> that what he ran of 2017 in previous years. So when an athlete wins a medal, and I, if each one of my athletes are right here right now, they would tell you. I'm not even around to see that medal. I don't. I, I think when Stevie got his medal, I was back at the hotel. I didn't even see the awards ceremony. Um, I don't think I've seen none of my athletes really get presented their awards because that's their moment. These coaches, they want to be like P. Diddy. They want to be all up in the video. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all walking with the athlete and all that. That's what? their Y'all moment. Boy shook? <laughs> yeah, leave these athletes alone. Let them bask in that glory. <laughs> You're still the coach. You're the coach. Um, I don't have to have, you know, I don't have to be walking behind my athlete or be in the video to know that that's my athlete. My athlete going to tell you that's 
that I'm their coach. Um, but we sometimes we take away their moment by being on the stage and the reporter may want to talk to just the athlete, but now they see you. So now they got to ask you questions. So that moment right there, every from that point to this point, I've never been around really, even my athletes this year, that won medals, not one time did I go inside that stadium to see the award ceremony. Not one time. Not one I'm going to tell you I went in there to see it. I just don't. I don't even go in to see the finals. I watch everything from the field. Call it um, superstitious, but since 2017, I never go inside the stadium. So I you, watch everything from the outside. So you just coach. I just coach. And when that, that moment is done of you being a coach and you have presented the product, which is the successful athlete out there, you let them have their moment. I'm gone. I'm back right. to the hotel. I'm back on my flight. I think in Doha, when Stevie got his medal in Doha, I was back on the plane. I was halfway back to the USA. Um, this year right here, like I say, the athletes that won, Kyron, Kyron um, Matt, Tamari, uh, Raheem. Didn't even go in and watch the presentation. Man, that's amazing, just, man. That's, that's, that's their moment, you know. And who should I be the one to take that moment? My moment was knowing that I got you there and you received the award. That's my moment. I'm going to talk my junk out in the... Um, no, it won't be <laughs> right. I'm going to talk my junk then. And I really, I don't really do that. I just look at some people that I know had to hate for me and I just give them that smile. Or I go up to them and force them to shake my hand. Good job, coach. I tell them good job. So yeah. I know they got to shake my hand back yeah, and say good yeah, job yeah, back. Yeah. So that's how, you know, it's a way to get all everything back that you want without being street. You know, yeah. but you can do it the corporate way. So I call that the corporate way. Mm. When you force them to shake your hand. Um, and I, I get my pleasure out of that. My athletes speak, they, they do the work and I take the rest from them. What are the shoe companies saying now? Like now that you have so much success, you have a lot of athletes that want to train or who vocalize that they want to train with you. You have a name, like people, I actually hear people say, I want to train with Gary Abbott. What, what, what are the shoe companies saying to you now? Are they wanting to offer you something? Did they have a change heart? Do they treat you different now because you're not going anywhere? What What is that? I still think that shoe companies, they still have their picks of the litter um, because I had some athletes last year that wanted to come to me from um, a certain shoe company um, and they were sent somewhere else to another coach. Um, and I know two of them stayed right here in Claremont. Matter of fact, one of them stayed in my subdivision. Um, but, they, <laughs> but the guy said, no, you have to go here. And I, I can accept that. You know, it's, it's not a problem. I don't get the, the, the top athletes that's already, oh, man, they already ready to go. Um, what I call superior already coming out of college. I have to get the ones I have to work with. I like to build. I like to build. There's no problem with building. Because then... When they're superior sometimes, sometimes they were somewhere else and now they come to you and they're going to tell you what the last coach did. No, I don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Clean but slate. Clean slate. <laughs> Let me build you. Let's take Matthew Hudson Smith. I think this, kid, this guy was on the way to suicide, if I'm correct, from reading the article that he had. You know, he was getting ready to just end it all because guy was, you know, he came in, I think his best time was like 44, maybe five or something. Then he came to... Hold on, right, Craig. I just want to say Matthew Andrew Smith is the silver medalist of the 400 meters right now at this point. Right. Continue. I just uh, want to let them know what, <laughs> what he's done this far. I think he, um, he had a little rough time. Once again, like I say, sometimes where you're... If you're not having fun at your job, sometimes it makes a difference. 
Um, I don't think Matt was having fun where he was previously at before that, and things start spiraling downhill for him. Um, like I say, that's sides to both both stories, you know. Some say, you know, he was a a, a problem. Some say, you know, he didn't really say nothing. He just um, did some opinions on what he felt things should things he should do. Um, it just wasn't a good relationship. And I think he had been there for maybe about four or five years, and each year was getting worse, worse, worse. I think he had got to where his last meet at home in front of his his home people, his mom and dad, he ran like 48 or 47 in the quarter. Wow. Um, so that next year, he was still on contract. Um, he decided to leave. So um, he came with me. Not sure if he came with me that they cut, it, they cut his contract, Adidas, or because it was the end of his contract. I'm not sure. So I don't want to be the barrier of the wrong news. All I know... When he came to me, he had no contract. Does he have a contract now? Oh, yes. He has a contract with Puma. Um, that year he came to me, um, Matt won the bronze. He also won the European Games. Is that correct? No, he finished second at European Games. Let me see. Let me check. Sure. I know he won, he won, he won bronze at Worlds. I think he finished second at the European Games. And there was another championship in there somewhere Come where on. he won gold. Come on. Uh, so he had a great year. Um, came a little bit off of the national record and the area record of the um, UK. So that just what you're saying me. is you you turned his whole life around, like turned literally. That, yeah, he turned, yeah, he he yeah. was out. He he was out the door. And Imagine he was this close this year. He was this close to winning the gold. Yes. Then this year we took we we, we stepped up another notch. We won um, silver. And he broke the European record. A record that had been there for like 35 years. Wow. Um, the kid was able to reverberate his life. Um, he bought a house. And now he's working on buying a second house. He's getting ready to get married. It, it, it's a dream story. It, it's a dream story. But I definitely think you could attest that to a little bit more than coaching. I mean, people, I know you to be a coach, but um, I'm going to say it on there. I mean, you mentor me from time to time. So I would be remiss to say that Gary is an amazing mentor to speak into people's lives, to, to give perspective on what they can be. So I would definitely say for Matthew Audrey Smith and for other, the, the other athletes that it wasn't just a coaching. I think it's more so of you important belief in them and letting them know that, hey, you can do this or you have more to live for and you can, you can do these, these, this, this, and this. You can. I, I don't like an athlete to leave, leave track and field without trying to accomplish their dream. Now, there is a window that you have to look at when you talk about accomplishing that dream. Because remember, you do got a four-year degree over here that you can go and make six figures with this, hopefully. Um, so I'll kind of look and I'll talk and we'll see how we can work things out. Because like I say, track is mental. And if, um, if the mental part is not there, I don't care how strong the physical part is, it's not going to come together. Um, I, they've kind of like named my group Last Chance You. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that came about, but um, we've had some great success. So you take Kyron McMaster. Yeah, man. And not mellowed. Had a major championship yeah. all his life. And then here he comes this year, first year with him. We made some changes and, you know, he walks away with the silver. Um, and he beat War, he beat Warholm one time in the diamond. He beat Warholm. He did. Warholm is the world champion. He beat Warholm. We, we wanted that diamond, but 
He's already won a diamond, but we wanted the one this year to top it off. But hey, you had two other great competitors, um, Warholm and you had Rob Benjamin. I mean, Rob ran the race of his life. I think Rob put it all together and he ran an amazing race. Shout out to him and his coaches. Excellent job. You know, he came back, he refocused after Worlds and he got it done, you know. So Rob, I've heard some rumor that you may not, you may lead the 400 hurdles. Don't leave it, son. I think you put the formula together now. You, you're ready right. to go. Yeah. Um, he, he had a different energy coming off those, those yes. last couple of hurdles in the straightaway, for sure. I, I, I think it's going to make some changes with Warholm because Warholm say now, okay, hey, I've been beaten twice. You know, I've got beat by Kyron and I got beat by Ross. So um, now he has to go back in the drawing board and make some changes. And then we can't forget the Santos. Great athlete. I mean, for what he did coming back Halfway after having year. surgery and coming back <laughs> in the same year, mm -hmm. you know, it's a great, but it's no longer the big three. It's the big four. Yeah. There we go. Because Kyron, Kyron name goes back up in there now. Right. And coach, know. don't let them say fast, don't let them say last chance anymore. Because <laughs> you gotta realize sometimes when you have one more chance of that last chance, mm -hmm. it's your best effort. Yes. Yep. You know what's on the line. You know what's on the line. You know and that's that, 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 that's true. But yeah. I don't like I say, I don't mind taking, I'm probably one of the only coaches out there. I won't say only, there are a few other coaches that take athletes with no contract. Um, I do take athletes with no contract. Uh, sometimes you may miss a diamond in the rough. Or sometimes you may have some rough. Uh, <laughs> there may not be no diamond to them. But, you know, you have to give them that chance. And, you know, um, you know, I had a young lady named, you know, Shannon Ray, you know, came along. Did very well. She was able to work out something with Adidas with a clothing contract. Um, so sometimes, like I say, you take Andrew Hudson. He didn't have a contract. Um, he came along, ran very well, won the Jamaican National Meet 200. Now he's with Puma. So sometimes you just have to, you know, go out on a limb and take that chance and, you know, hope for the best. So what's next for you, Coach? What's, what's, we finished up the season very well, very successful, as you always have. What's coming down the pipeline for Coach Gary Evans? 2024. Well, right now I have to filter through. Um, like I say, right now, if I would take every athlete that – Actually, come to my group, I'll be somewhere between 38 to 42 athletes. Wow. That's love, okay. though, man. So, that's yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, man. You got to turn them away. That's, that's and, love. And some of these are major contracted athletes already that want to move from where they're at and want to move over to a different spot. I, one word I would tell them athletes, be careful about moving the Olympic year because sometimes it takes time to get adjusted to a program. Also, you have to look at if because your friends over there don't mean because your friend will, ran well that you're going to run well. Sometimes give that little coach a second chance, you know, don't be so quick to move. And that's me just not being selfish because I know some of these athletes that I would say, hey, I take them in a heartbeat, but give, you, give your other coach a chance, you know, or, or sit down and talk with that coach. And maybe y'all could come to some type of conclusion to say, okay, can I fix this or can I fix that? If they still don't want to listen, then you have to make a choice from there, you know, because it is your career. Yeah. So I think um, going through that, see who I'm going to accept in my group. I've already accepted a few new athletes in there. I've already gave them the, you know, the green light. Um, and then also with, you know, with accepting one thing Brooke Johnson told me. He said, one thing about coaching pro track, you're going to have somebody staying, you're going to have somebody going, you're going to have somebody coming. So now I have to do the part of who I'm going to give my dear John letters to. <laughs> um, saying, hey, we ran our course. Um, either... It's me where it's not working or it's you not working, but, you know, I think, you know, we need to part ways. So well, those you tough do have to, to tough conversations. They're, they're tough, but because, you know, I'm more than just a dollar bill to these, um, yeah. these athletes being a paycheck. I, I, you know, when I'm on the circuit, 
I know a lot of these, some of these agents and some of these other coaches think I may act kind of funny, but even when I was in the streets, I was one to do my own thing. You know, if I'm going to murder somebody, you're not going to know. I'm not going to take no person with me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to take that to my grave. Um, so I'm the same here. Um, I, I mostly be with my athletes. It's one or two agents that I will deal with, that I talk with, that you'll see me with. But usually I'm with my athletes or I'm in my room, period. Um, I'm not a person that has to have a big group around me. I, 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 I could party and have fun by myself, you know, so I... Go in there, put my speaker on in my room, party, get up and dance. And, you know, I don't need, you know, no big atmosphere. So I'm kind of like a low-key person. So now it's just a matter of just, you know, going through with what athletes I want to keep, which ones I'm going to accept, and then just get ready for, you know, next year. Um, I know that's Olympic year. It's a big year. You don't have time for foolishness in your group. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure everything is on point, yeah. which is not because I don't care – Every year, you learn something new as a coach. Um, I don't care how long you've been in this game, you're going to learn something new. Um, my dad always taught me, you know, even if a bum come to you, take a second to listen because that may, he may be telling you something that, be, that may be sent from God above, you know, maybe that angel in disguise. So, you know, I listen to a few things and see what I want to do from that point and then move forward with what I'm going to take. But I know I won't have no 38, 42 athletes. No. <laughs> I got to give my other coaching staff and we're going to see, you know, what fits good in the group and what fits, what doesn't fit in the group. I think I'm going to keep it maybe somewhere between 20 to 24 athletes. I got you. What's your, what's your goal for 2024? I mean, you, have, you already have some athletes that have Olympic gold medals. Like, do you have plans to, hey, these other few athletes, I need y'all to medal or how do you go about those type of conversations and such? My philosophy is like, is this. Either you win a medal at the major championship, you PB, or you make some money. If them three, if none of them three happen, you had a bad year. Because <laughs> every athlete we know is not going to medal. But if they could walk away with a PB or they made some money, they feel all right now. Made some money, pot kind of fat. Maybe I could buy me a new car, invest here. But when you walk away, no metal, no PB, hmm. no money, you're frustrated. You're mad. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so if we accomplish one of them three, I feel as an athlete, we had, we had a good year. Now, the goal is always the metal. Okay. But what these athletes have to realize time, your times bring money, your time bring medals. And athletes forget, if you don't run them times to get into meets that you need to get into, chances of that medal are going to be kind of far off. Absolutely. You know, it's not, it's not what you've done in the past. It's what you've done with your last race. Don't get you into some races. Now, I do think as the world athletes, we need to start changing a little bit on these. Um, when it comes to times, when given lanes, you know, we're announcing something that somebody did in 2002 and they're still getting the center of the track. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's they, time they out for that, you know. They fluffing Yeah, it, I man. think after about three years, we need, you know, well, at least it, go with the Olympic go. cycle. Exactly. You know, with four, you know, we need to start going with more up-to-date times when yeah. we look at, you know, seating these athletes in lanes and different things like that. It's the that. same thing I feel with accolades too. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? You, oh man, you know, I'm the, I'm the world champion from 1992. 
Like, I need to get a middle lane. No, that's happened between then and now. That man was a long time ago. We weren't even using blocks back then. Okay, just dig a hole in the ground and push off, you know. So definitely, like I say, track and field is coming a long ways. I mean, I like where it's coming. Um, I'm... Our, our top athletes like, you know, Shikari Richards, Noah Lyles, they're trying to speak out now and doing a few different things, speaking out for the athletes. I think more of the athletes, Rob Benjamin, what I, I love what Rob did after the, um, the Diamond League final where he spoke about how at one time it was 50,000, now it's 30,000. I'm even looking at, you know, the world championships. It's 70,000 for first, then it's, you go to second, it's 35. So you tell me I got to cut a whole half? You know, it's wow. like... Come on, where's this money going? I'm I'm looking in the stadiums and I'm seeing we're not we can't say COVID's going on because the, st- the stands are packed. You know what is that? So where's the, the, the money going? It's going so, to somebody's pockets so, so besides athletes. So you saying our, our board of the World Athletics needs to do some audits about the money? We, we, we need to tighten. We need to tighten up. And like I said, the athletes. If you need a strong person to getting there with y'all as a coach, I'm one. I'm I'm definitely one because I feel that you guys need to get paid. Y'all yep. represent. Y'all put a show on for these people. NBA players, they go out there, they play. They put a show on for the people. They pay them well. NFL, they put a show on for the people. They pay them well. NHL, put a show on for the people. Pay them well. I'm with you. Okay? I'm with you. Track, we put a show on too. But we don't get, they don't get paid well. Yeah. yeah. Justin showed me a statistic yeah. at one point. You showed me a while ago. You, was, you showed me in 2012. You was like, Rod, look at this, bro. You showed me the nine-second clip of the 100-meter final and the ratings. It had the most ratings. It was the most watched event in 2012 of any event at the Olympics. Mm. And it didn't get paid. Could you think about the race but, that Shikari got to watch that 100-meter final in Budapest? Go out there and find out how many people watch that 100-meter race between her and, and, and that, Sharika and, and, Jackson. And you, and you, you speaking Listen. on real time, we can also talk about the views that it got as well now, right. Listen, nowadays. They, they be seeing the views. Even when I was with Brooks, Brooks talked about the viewership when Shikari in 2021. Mm-hmm. When Shikari, or Shikari was on the screen, she got more views than uh, the... The, gym, the gymnast, she had more views, more people watched that Olympic trials than any, than any other event than when she was on the screen. Right. And that's why I always say the sport needs people like her and Noah and the people who are speaking up and who are outspoken. Like They're going to push the sport. They got to recognize mm-hmm. what they are to the sport. You if, know you, what I mean? if you get an athlete, you have a Shikari, you have a uh, Noah, uh, a Stevie, just say some of the top athletes, and they say, okay, we're not coming to this Diamond League meet unless this is the payment that we receive for the winnings. We changed this whole structure for the winnings because it was 10000 8000 Now I think it starts at eight, and then it wears down because they said the COVID. Okay, that's over with. All right. So now they're getting a little cheap. All right. The stand's back full, but the money didn't go back. Yeah, yeah. So... There's a problem somewhere. So if these, if these athletes start saying, no, we're not coming out there for that. You know, we got to start having it at this price. Them prices are going to change. They're going to put them prices back up because they know it. People want to see track, especially over in Europe. So if you start putting out some of these elite athletes, prices will change because no one's coming to see somebody run 10-6. 
ten four. And the men's hundred. And the men's hundred. Uh, yeah, you said that. It's not going to happen. Everybody say, you know, women's hundred. Women's hundred. They want to see that. They want to see that. I'm there for that. But they don't want to see that. You know, they want to see the top dogs compete against each other. sevens and So as athletes, and I appreciate what Shakari is doing, trying to put together a union. We have to start doing that. And some of the coaches, we have to start doing the same thing. Coaches, think about it. Who's around the athlete the most? The coach. The coach. 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 More, get the, more than their co- family, actually. Coach yeah. get the less, least amount of money. The agent, get, the agent gets more than the coach. <laughs> Come on, we're going to be on TV. Let's be real about hey, it. Hey, 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 talk your talk, man. I ain't hey, stopping serious. you, man. Go ahead. You know? <laughs> you, we get the least amount of money. And the agent has the most influence. Yes. Most influence. But we more have than to, the coach, even though the coach is We have to deal with the everyday problems, the practice, the tears, ugh, everything. We have to deal with that athlete. The agent, some agents. Now, we got some good ones out there. Oh, I, yeah, I, I definitely agents. know a good one. I, um, I, know, I, know, I know a good <laughs> one too, man. Yeah, he, I know he's a few my good agent. ones too. <laughs> um, but when you um, have to... I may, as a coach, some agents I hear from maybe, maybe once at the beginning of the year and then right before it's time to go to the championship, I may hear from them two times for the year. That's what I may hear from them. You know, some of the athletes, I know a lot of times I do the athlete, the agent job, getting some of my athletes in meets. I've done the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've done the same. I've seen it, I've seen it happen. You've seen me pull yeah. Just because boy. it's an ATL meet, you know, I'm still your client. Get me in this meet. My coach shouldn't have to find the hotel and this and that and that. Get me in this meet. Yeah. You know, so I think, you know, and I'm not knocking all agents. Some agents, they do a great job. They do. And then you got some that, I don't know, they need to take the A off their name. They just gents. They ain't no agents. <laughs> I don't even know if they gents. They no, just guys. But, yeah, <laughs> but that, you know, these are some things that, you know, as, as, um, Coaches and athletes, we have to talk up, talk about in order to make this sport become a better sport. Um, there's no way the money should be the type of money that these kids are running for. These are, like you say, these are world, world championships, class, yes. Olympic championships. Yep. I mean, you're running against the best in the world, and you're telling me, I came out here and gave you a performance, and I, I'm walking away with $70,000. That's it. Now, we still got to tax that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they tax, they tax, I don't think people understand. Agent like, got to get this 15%. Oh, yeah. But they tax in the country too. Yeah, they tax the country. They, ta- they tax you in that country wherever you at. <laughs> so, so how, how much of that 70000 I bring home? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And if you're we, from the US, they tax that boy again. Again. Come back in. They tax it again. Yeah. Then we talking a relay, 80000 If six people ran, four oh, people you, ran finals, two people ran prelims. You split that Now we got to split all that. Mm-hmm. Come on, folks. Where's the money? Because the stands are packed. Stands are packed, and you can see sponsorships all, all around over. the stadium. Yeah. All over. Sneak, sneak, sneak. Sneak selling. Yeah. We're doing our... The athletes doing their job. They're wearing your product. Okay? That's what Break, you guys They're breaking do. records. They're breaking records. They're running the fa- some of the fastest times the world has seen. Come on. Pay these athletes for what they're worth. Yeah, we need to see like a balanced ledger of uh, when all the sponsorships come in. If, if that's exposed, then the meat promoters know they cannot, they cannot minimize what yeah. they're paying out. 
because you know that ain't gonna happen. You know, and you know that ain't gonna happen because you know that the ugly twist to it is the fact that there's a there's a dark web behind the scenes of what happens. The meat promoters are making backdoor deals with agents. You need a hotel room. You need to make sure your airfare is taken care of. I got you. Right? Yeah. So whatever favor I need from the meat, a meat promoter, I need you as an agent to do X, Y, and Z. They should be making 50K appearance fee or more, but talk them into 20 or 30. I don't know where the other 10 went. You know what I'm saying? Those kind of deals do happen. And a lot of people don't really talk about them because there's always cracks in our sport because we run it as an amateur sport. So there's no one on a professional caliber to be able to guard and govern those situations. Man, I've heard a few athletes who find out later where they might have had a negotiation of a $30,000, $40,000 parents fee, but was only handed in their invoice $20,000. Because they're not in that meeting. So they don't know what was negotiated. The agents say it's 20. So they just think it's 20, but actually they negotiated 40. <laughs> so I, I mean, it's, it's just like the streets. When, when, a, when a person has to go to court, it's already determined on the golf course what he's going to get sentenced. Because <laughs> that public defender and that state attorney, they already don't met on the golf course and talked about it. Yep. Okay, you owe me a favor. Okay, just give him two years. All right, work it out, boom. That's all he get, two years. So same thing work. Now bring it back to the corporate world. Same thing happened behind closed doors, through emails, telephone call. This is what I want. Okay, this is what I give you. But I'm going to give him a room. And I give you a room too. And I give your other athlete a room also. Okay, then. That worked then. I tell, that's what I tell him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, exactly. it's, 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 a, it's not hard for Noah Lyles, Shakari Richards, uh, uh, Warhol to pick up the phone and call me direct themselves and get in the meet. They get in the meet. I'm pretty sure. Hit the email. They can do their own deal. <laughs> It's not like they're going to turn around and say, no, 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 uh-uh, we don't want you in. We got to speak to your agent. Oh, they're going to take that athlete. You know, so somewhere, you know, something has to become better in track and field financially for these apps. You want these athletes to really go out and show you what they can really do? Raise the money. Yeah, because people will be out there killing themselves. Raise the money. Find out a diamond league is fifty thousand dollars. Well, they be laying up, diamond league. Yeah. They be laying up at the gate trying to practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> raise, raise the money. The best. The, that's when you will get the performance. You run five diamond leagues, boy. You good? Yeah, you, you, ain't good. Gotta, exactly. you ain't got to win no Olympics or world. Yeah. You are and then make good. the world, world make world championships a hundred k for the win. Uh, I mean, it, it's just like I say, it's a beautiful sport, but it's it's neglected in so many ways that. But that's what brings the value of the sport down. And um, I think you're getting to the point where some of these athletes, they're only going to give you so much when it comes to training. Because yeah. at the end, they, they think it's really not. I mean, I can hear it in Rob's voice almost like, man, this all we getting? <laughs> you know, you, you can almost hear it in some of these people's voice. Like, you're like, come on, man, give us a little bit more money. We, you know, we're not asking to be millionaires, but give us a little bit more money. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. 10, or, 10, 11 months of the year, at, man. As coaches, yeah, we, we, yeah. We're, we're 10 months yeah. of the year. I'm coaching. Yeah. Uh, the 11th month, I'm trying to figure out who I'm trying to coach for the next year. So I get one month to spend with the significant other. If by then I'm already not in divorce court or put out the house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, you married to the game things, too, man. Things have to change, you know, even with the athletes, you know, athletes, you're valued. 
You know, you stop going for this 20%. This, the majors want you. So Avley could give you a percentage of what they're going to charge, but you could probably come back and say, hey, hold on. I give you 12. Yeah. Because you're the product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They want you. Yeah. So do, do I just fall to what they say? 20%? Yo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come with a, with a number. Hey, I give you, I come with you if we go 12%. Then if they say no, okay, let me go to the next agent. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's true. If yeah. I don't like what they're serving at Burger King, I go to McDonald's or Wendy's. Yeah. Yeah. True, true. You have any um closing remarks? This is your camera right here to mm-hmm. say fly and I show you want to say anything in our closing remarks. I would say let's just make the sport a better sport. Guys, let's uh let's find the money, because the money's out there for these athletes. I mean, they're they're representing your shoe companies, they're doing everything you ask. You have them to be at a photo shoot, they're there. You ask them to wear this. Um, you tell them to put on a pair of socks with a with a logo on. They got the socks on. So they're doing their job. They're running. They're performing. They're, they're winning medals in your gear. Find the money for these athletes because they deserve it. They work hard. They're out there slaving in the hot sun, especially if you train in Florida, Texas, California. They're going to the weight room. I mean, they're spending time out of their day to perform for you just to get pennies because that's what it is, pennies, when it's compared to all the other national sports. Now, don't get me wrong. I know basketball and NFL and baseball is a whole different type of money. But if the money was at this point at one time, if we're talking, I'm going to give away my age, but if we're talking the Golden League, uh, money was much better then. Where did that money go? Yeah, exactly. On behalf of Justin and I, we'd love to thank Coach Gary, world-renowned coach, Coach Gary, Olympic world championship coach, Coach Gary for Spending time with us today on our show on Ready, Set, Go!